You're listening to a podcast from Blogging Heads TV. Hi, welcome to Culturally Determined on Blogging Heads TV. My name is Arnie Cohen Wade, and I'm your host. And my guest today is uh, Peter Moskos. Uh, Peter, could you introduce yourself? Yeah, I'm uh, Peter Moskos. I'm a professor of law and police science at John Jay College of Criminal Justice. Uh, thanks for coming on. Uh, longtime viewers may remember you appearing a couple times in the past. Um, and I think I first um, uh, became aware of your work uh, through uh, the book um, In Defense of Flogging, uh, which came out, I guess, a bit, about a decade ago, uh, which is was a very interesting book that uh, was kind of a Swiftian sort of take on what, what happens with crime and punishment in this country, especially prisons. Um, and you've also written a book called uh, Cop in the Hood. Um, and we're going to be talking about the, you know, obvious topic, uh, in terms of, that's, that's uh, my third book, Greek Americans, right? No one ever talks about that one. Oh, what is, okay. I don't, I'm not familiar with that one. What is, what is, what is that book? It's Greek Americans. That's, okay. it's about, uh, it's about the immigrant experience, but, uh, anyway. Okay. Interesting. Okay. So and we'll, we'll include links to those, to those below. Um, that's the one that no one's ever read, but anyway. <laughs> okay. So I, so I thought of you as someone, so. Uh, and, and please correct anything. So I haven't read Cop in the Hood, but I've heard you talk about it. So please and p- please correct anything I get wrong. As part of your PhD research, you worked as a police officer in Baltimore um, in the 90s, or was it in the 2000s? Uh, it was from 99 to 2001. Okay. And um, so you have a, you know, a, a lot of people talking about the police right now. And uh, yeah, I think you have a, a unique perspective on what um, what's for actually like to uh, be a police officer. Uh, but I've also, you know, I, I, I thought of you also because, you know, the the debate over the police is so tribalized and there's kind of people saying like, you know, uh, blue lives matter and, you know, we, we respect, you know, like the, basically rah-rah pro-police all the time. Maybe they make a few mistakes, but like, we, we you know, we need them. And then on the other side, you have the people saying, uh, all cops are bastards, defund the police, you know, um, throw a rock at a cop, that's a good thing to do. And so I see you as someone, someone in the middle um, who can maybe uh, help, help us understand uh, these important matters more. So, uh, so what, I mean, what have you been thinking, is open any question, you know, since in the past few weeks as uh, the, the video footage of uh, the police officer killing uh, an unarmed man in, in Minneapolis came out and then the, uh, the protests and everything's happened after that? The first week or 10 days, I was really just depressed about the whole thing. I mean, from the video, which is horrible and depressing. Um, but also, I didn't see, I mean, and then I think protests that were too nonspecific in goals or the goals that they were specific about are too broad to be attainable. Um, there's also a difference this time in the past protests about people killed by police have been about accountability and justice. And this time was different because the killing was universally condemned by police officers, by police unions even. I mean, I've never seen that before. Uh, the cop was fired. Cops were fired um, and arrested and charged. In the past, that has been the main dem- demand, that level of accountability. Um, and this time it happened. So I'm like, well, I don't quite get the end game here. Um, I don't quite understand why people are taking out their anger against cops in New York City for what some guy in Minneapolis did. Um, more recently, in the past few days, I've started to lift out of my funk uh, because I do see some productive changes. I mean, let me also one of the, like I mean, if history is any guide, um, the looting and violence that went along. Uh, with the protests that I don't want to conflate the two, but you know, at the same time um, that's never helped a neighborhood or a group or anything in America before. Like it's just, it's, you know, I watched Baltimore burn in 2015 and the city's never recovered. Um, so I, again, it's like, well, I just, I don't want things to get worse. And the idea that, Oh, we're going to change. We're going to reform it. What does that mean? You know, we need specifics. Um, I think we're st- starting to see a little bit of, of some productive change. You know, police departments are culturally resistant to any kind of change. Um, and yet, despite that, over decades, there has been change in policing, um, by and large, vastly for the better. 
Um, so if this is a moment where, you know, where we can capitalize and actually um, improve things in a good way, maybe um, we'll see. But I think it's, it's, it's a, you know, to first to fix things, you have to identify the problem. And if you just say police are bastards, that's not really productive, despite how passionate your feeling might be. And perhaps even, you know, justified in experience or whatever, but um, I don't know. We shall see. Yeah. Um, I mean, I guess a couple of things that surprised me were how, how quickly the um, so yeah, both how quickly this the the video and the actions of the of the officer Shalvin, if that's how you pronounce the name, were so you know universally condemned. You know, you see like ninety nine point five percent of of anyone out there is is condemning them, um, and and then also how quickly the um, the protests spread all over the country and even the world. Um, and so in the the previous kind of uh, wave of protests sparked from. Uh, killing black men uh the the if there was like a violent protest or something it was usually in the place where the town or city where that happened and then maybe there'd be some like less intense protests elsewhere but those would fade away and that's not happened so so one obvious explanation is it's the um quarantine and people have been locked in their house for three months and then they have all this pent-up energy and they're really angry and you can't um you know yell at a a virus or anything. So um, th- this was an escape valve for, for all that. That's got to be part of it. I don't want to say it's the major part, but certainly that's got to be a contributing factor to the size of and the that, protest I, I and the demographics of the protest. Right. And I've so I, I many think, white people it, protesting. Yeah. And then I think another thing is just maybe a, a sense that um, you know, nothing had changed after th- these awful events <laughs> happened that were captured on, on videotape. And just a, a sense of a loss of legitimacy among people who are, you know, maybe somewhat like me, who, you know, like white people who live in a city, who are educated, who maybe never had a, a bad personal interaction with the cops, but they've, they've seen the videos, they've heard the stories. And so they do not have, <laughs> they do not have a positive feeling about the cops. And they also don't have a memory of like the 80s crime wave in which maybe the, the cops are seen as like the heroes of that story or something. So so, so they're ready to say "fuck the cops" in a way that they wouldn't have, you know, ten or fifteen years ago. Yeah, and I think it's tough, though. To, I mean, look, I, I, I try and look at things. I mean, I try I research in my research. Look, I talk to people, but I also try and use data. Um, and it's frustrating if you have data and nobody cares. And if not only that, but by presenting data you're accused of contextualizing and whataboutism and, and, um, and I don't fully know how to balance that. Uh, people, I mean, the video is horrible. Um, if you don't have a visceral, visceral reaction against what you saw, you know, something's wrong with you. So there is that factor. Um, the people's anger is legitimate. Um, but they're also like the idea that nothing has changed. Um, yeah, last night I tweeted quite innocently um, a graph of shootings by cops in New York City going back to 1973 um, because I honestly was trying to get data for other cities because I was speaking to a reporter who was asking about it. And I was like, I don't know if it exists uh, for other cities going back that far. Um, and I said asking for a friend, which maybe sounded like I was trying to make a comment more than I was really asking for a friend. Um, but for my minor Twitter presence, it, it um, you know, got a couple, couple hundred retweets and likes, which is a lot for me. Uh, and I was kind of shocked because people didn't know this. And I forget this because I teach it every semester. And I, I, think I, saw, I think I saw what you tweeted, actually. So it basically, it's been a, there's been a strong decline since the 70s of the number of times cops have shot. Yeah. No, I mean, yes, yeah, strong is an understanding statement. You know, there was a time when cops were shooting somebody every day in New York City. Um, uh, in more recent years, New York City cops shot about 40 people a year. But for many years back in the 70s and 80s, it was more than 100 people a year. Um, last year, it was 15, uh, which is, I think, the lowest ever. But that is part of a long extreme downward trend. I mean, we're talking, um, you know, it's, it's a reduction that did not happen by accident or chance. It happened because the NYPD started caring about um, cops shooting people back in the 
70s and into the 80s. And the New York City Police Department implemented policy that basically became the foundation for Tennessee versus Garner, which, you know, to oversimplify, it says you can't shoot a fleeing felon in the back just because he's running away, absent of any other threat. That policy became standard for policing nationwide. And not only did it reduce the number of people uh, shot by cops, it almost certainly reduced the number of cops shot and in effect de-escalated the streets because some number of cops were getting shot by people who were shooting back, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and, and the, and the, the NYPD did it by basically saying, we're going to keep track of every bullet that's fired by a cop, which now seems common sense. But before that, it wasn't that way. Um, but it saved hundreds of lives in New York City alone. Um, New York City right now has, a by every measure you can quantify, has good numbers. And I mean by good numbers, I mean um, declining arrests. Uh, right now, murder actually is skyrocketing this year in the city, but generally declining murder um, and very few uses of force, lethal and non-lethal. Um, it's a great success story, but that doesn't mean bad things are going to happen. Or it doesn't mean bad things aren't going to happen. Uh-huh. Um, but it doesn't mean we could learn from cities and departments that do things right. And that's one of my, even if we improve policing, when I get sad about the whole thing, I go, what's the point? Because cops are going to be in another bad killing. It's guaranteed. There are just too many police departments. We're talking 17,000 plus separate police departments. There are too many cops. We're talking 750,000 cops for one of them not to do something stupid and criminally wrong. Um, so what are we going to do then? Um, it, it, we, we, we can ask for perfection, um, and we can, and we can demand improvement, but we're not going to get perfection. And I worry about the future when we, we demand perfection or else, you know, cities get busted up. Uh-huh. Um, so we need, we need some way to improve policing and also some way um, to contextualize things and say, okay, yes, this bad thing happened, but here's what went wrong. Here's what we can do to prevent it. Um, here's how we're holding departments accountable. Um, and a lot of that hasn't been done yet. So this is still progress to, to be made. Um, but I, we're never going to have a country where this doesn't happen. Um, all we can do is re- reduce the frequency of it. Mm-hmm. Unless we abolish police, and then we'll have greater problems, but at least it won't be coming from cops. But okay, that, well, that I we'll fear that. is we'll hold that for okay. maybe a, a, a later in this conversation. Um, yeah, that that whole uh, movement. So, I mean, so I mean, part of it is, uh, I mean, it's, it's it's crazy to think that the, the police were shooting like over three hundred, you know, one person a day in New York City in the seventies or something. Uh, I, how many, you know, how many of those were caught on film? Probably zero. Um, zero. And the, the, but the, the you didn't even happened, have to fill out a paperwork until then. Like that was the amazing, you just had to buy more ammo. <laughs> so would that even have been reported in the newspaper or something if that happened or, or? Would- there were too many. I mean, maybe it'd be some, there are more papers, right? So maybe there'd be some minor story. Uh, but if you didn't hit anybody, no one, no, there would be no, no one would know about it if you missed. And, and the, the cops aim perhaps luckily was incredibly bad back then as well. Um, but the shooting right. incidents, the guns, um, was, the guns were probably also less. Uh, yeah. And one that. of the first years they started counting, there were, um, there were close to a thousand shooting incidents. That's three a day or two and a half a day. What? Uh, but I mean, good God, that's a lot. Yeah. Um, and so, 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 so the information technology angle of this has to, you know, play a role. And we're still in this very early part of, you know, uh, living in a civilization where everyone has a camera and the ability to instantly broadcast something globally at any moment. And this is, you know, it's been playing out in lots of different areas of life where, you know, there'll be some confrontation between neighbors or someone, people in line at Starbucks or something, and someone says something offensive and then everyone, you know, within 12 hours knows who this person is. Um, so, so the, you know, the, uh, Chauvin, um, murdering Floyd by like, uh, uh, kneeling on him for, for 10 minutes, um, that, you know, if, if we didn't have the, the video evidence, you know, I, I, ha- I have a hard time seeing this playing out in, in the way it did. Like, you know, so someone was there filming and, you know, it showed, it showed the, 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 the other three cops not intervening. Maybe that's a little hard to imagine if you don't, if you don't see it. And also all this, you know, so, so maybe that explains part of the paradox of, you know, where was the outrage? 30, 40 years ago when cops were shooting with more <laughs> impunity versus now. There's some, but there so certainly was outrage. I mean, every, 
I don't know if it's every, but I'm going to say every, even if it's not true, every single bit of urban unrest in the past hundred years in America has been sparked by real or perceived police misconduct. Um, there might be a few exceptions, but basically that's true. So there was certainly outrage, but it, yeah, it happened in different ways. And sometimes, you know, it was just rumors of things going on. Um, in this case, it probably would have come out because there was body camera, camera footage. The initial report, which was, um, uh, kind of a lie or at least a grave mistruth or omission of truth, but did say all the body cams were activated. So it, it would have come out at some point, I think, but in a different way. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. So then, you know, protests are, protests are sparked and people are, are very upset and there's kind of a, you know, a, a, a residue of the black lives matter movement that started in the previous decade. Um, and, and then you, you know, so then there's the, uh, an additional wave of outrages on the part of both protesters slash looters slash rioters and the police. Um, okay. You know, this is maybe I put ands in there and not slashes. Just okay, true, true. So there's, there's peaceful protesters. There's people who want to fuck shit up. And then there's people who are like, I want to go get some luxury goods uh, from a store in Soho. It, it seems like the, um, the latter, the, the looting, especially in New York city was like, I don't know, like people were like ready to go, like they had cars, they had, you know, that was like organized and they were, uh, this wasn't just like an opportunistic kind of thing, like someone, you know, like throwing the, uh, do the right thing, throwing the, uh, you know, the trash can through the window of cells. It, it seemed like, I, I don't know, it, it's weird. I, I, I'm, I'm not a conspiracy person, but it, it, the fact that all these places were unguarded and also there were all these people ready to go into them and steal expensive stuff is somewhat strange to me for like, it also did not help that orders from above uh, in the NYPD. said basically take a hands off approach and in a large organization, when those are the instructions from the police, the mayor through the police commissioner, like police should have done more. They should have had better intelligence too, but they should have done more in the beginning. And there was a, a slow reaction, but that was, um, that was by, unfortunately, by design from up above. So, so you think that's from, that's from de Blasio, essentially? Yeah. Go, go, easy, go easy on people? Well, because he was thinking of protesters, and he wasn't thinking of, of, of the looting. But the orders, when they come down, say, you know, if, if you're told, well, don't arrest someone, don't, don't make arrests, uh, that is, puts cops in a weird position on the street. Mm-hmm. And, so, and so, so do you think that, you know, you can imagine – if if suddenly like it seems like the, the streets are lawless, there's a certain type of person, and maybe it's some sizable percentage of people who are walking around who are thinking like, okay, now is my chance to grab some stuff. And then, but then there's there's also kind of like people who are ready to go and you know uh, you know, had the had the uh, tire iron or whatever like like in their hands already. I mean, does does this make sense? Like like. In this, in, how much was opportunistic? How much was maybe people were like doing like an operation or something? This, I, this sounds weird. I, I'm I got it. no clue. I mean, some of both. At some point, it's a, it's a street party. At some point, people are saying that we're going to go in and with a goal of grabbing stuff. I I don't know. I, I you know I try and stay away from mobs and riots and vandalism. No no good's coming from me being there. Right. Um, okay. So then, if if the police were were give were given you know a, a hands-off order uh, in your city the, on the first night of the looting it seems like the order changed after that because we saw a lot of um very aggressive abusive behavior also being captured by you know people with people with cell phones obviously expanding beyond um new york city to other places like the clearing of the lafayette square park whatever in dc and um and so in that in those kind of situations, like, like, how do you think the cops, like, how do they, like, the cops are thinking? So, did you see the clip where it's like, I guess maybe like curfew had just been, had just like come down in New York City, and there's a guy riding his bike across the street, and then like a cop is like just starts wailing on him, and then like four other cops like come to like take him down, and he was just, you know, trying to get wherever. I, I think I did. There, there's so many of them. It's hard to. Right. So what do you? I mean, are, so so the all cops are bastards people are like okay these are violent assholes and they're they're they've been waiting for an excuse to crack some fucking skulls and now they get to do it with impunity 
And I guess the, you know, the opposite perspective would be, you know, they're just trying to keep law and order. They're doing their best. It's a confusing situation. Um, and you know, sometimes, you know, some level of violence is needed to, to bring order. So what do you think they're thinking at this point? I wouldn't say some level of violence is needed to bring order, but I do think it's important to say that some level of force is needed to bring order in that situation. And I feel there is a disconnect between the realities of, of post-curfew crowd management and what people, and especially people, I would say, who don't have a lot of interactions with the police, how they think police are going to act. The idea that, well, because I'm standing here unarmed, um, I have a right to be here even after you tell me not to be. That's not the way it works. Um, I also remember I said something early on, like, you know, this just pains me because people are going to get hurt. And I didn't mean that as a threat or a promise, just as resignation. That's what happens in these situations. We don't have some peaceful way to clear the streets once the order is given. Now, you can say the streets should never be cleared, but after what happened in New York City, I think most people said that we, we need order. Um, you know, there's there, there's a manual for that, and it's not necessarily a pretty manual, but it involves um, it involves telling people to leave. That's an important first step. Like that apparently didn't happen in Washington, but those that was a, that was not a municipal police department doing that. Right. Um, but once cops tell you to leave, um, you know, you don't have a choice. Now you can say, "Oh, sure, I do." Okay, but then cops are allowed to use force, um, and there's a very specific way that cops advance along. And anyone that does not move, who gets on the backside of that line, gets arrested. Um, cops are trained to strike people, to hit people in that situation, not to beat them for no reason, but from my, and this is, may be revealing, from my six hours of training, of riot training, you know, they said this is the one time we'll tell you it's okay to hit people, uh, strike people is the term, and it's with your club. Um, in some ways, you know, it's amazing how they're, so a lot of, a lot of the, use of force videos, I say, look, yes, it's bad, it's ugly, but that actually is um, what we're asking cops to do. Now, we could ask cops to do something else again, but but that's what we're asking cops to do. And that, that's where the cops start to feel um, that they're just, they're, they, they can't win. Because look, you're, you're a New York City cop, it's a majority minority, there are lots of immigrants and kids of immigrants. Um, it, it's, it's more non-white than the protesters. Uh, generally, it depends on the protest. Um, and you've got, you know, some young white kid yelling at some older black cop, calling him, calling her racist. Like, there's some absurdity to it from the cop perspective. Um, they don't want to be there. They don't understand why they're being held responsible for something that they didn't kill that guy in Minneapolis. Um, it's not, but, you know, you can say, well, it's like Eric Garner. Okay. But at some point, you know, it is collective punishment. Uh, if you throw things at cops for something that happened somewhere else. So uh-huh. no cops don't like that. They're working 12 hour shifts. They just got over COVID where, you know, what is it? I forget if it's 15 or 20% of the department, you know, got it. Um, it's been a really rough time for the NYPD and now this. Um, so no, they're not happy and they're cranky and some cops behave better than others. And some cops behave horribly and you do have to call them out. Um, but I, I don't, we don't have a, I, I, yeah, I, w- I wish I had a sort of some solution to that, but the idea that, you know, we can don't have to follow cops orders and then we get upset when cops use force, you know, civil dis- disobedience uh, said, okay, we're going to do this, you know, and we understand we're going to get arrested. Uh, and we also have clear goals and, you know, we're doing this to win the PR game, but this is just much more chaotic. And um, it, it, you know, may, for some people it says, looks, we've, we've shown cops for who they really are. Okay. Maybe. Um, but I, I just, I don't see it as, 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 as productive in, in, in its, in its goals. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, I guess this, in some ways it just gets back to the, this idea that there's, uh, you know, three, <laughs> three quarters of a million cops out there. One of them is going to do something pretty bad every day in this, in this giant country and in this time of extreme stress. Uh, maybe that explains some of it. I mean, also there's yeah, there's been very bad behavior, much of it caught on camera. The the, the well, yeah, the the, the officers who cleared the the square in Washington, you know, with with their like uh, plastic shields and and swinging and you know punching that cameraman in the face, like that's insane. That seems like something out of 
you know, um, RoboCop or something like a fascist, yeah, I don't you know, know fascist which police. Specific cops did that, but between the park police and these mysterious, you know, unnamed federal agencies. Yes, it, it um, seems like a recipe for disaster. That, that, yeah, it's that a recipe thing. for disaster, and you know they're following the orders of of their dear leader, and that's another problem. Um, you know, you know, municipal cops are nominally under civilian control under the mayor, um, and I don't, I don't, I'm, well, I'm sure I'll get accused of this anyway. I don't mean to apologize for bad behavior. Um, you know, I'm trying to explain uh, what happens. And look, a cop, the NYPD arrested a cop yes, and, yeah, yesterday. Um, we'll see if there are other arrests coming. Um, there is some accountability there. Um, NYPD, by the way, it's not well known. You know, they, on an average year, they might arrest 100 cops, which seems like a lot in some ways. Yeah. But whatever, they're 35,000 cops. Um, and most of it's for off-duty action. And in the past, if a cop were to be arrested for something on duty, it would have to be at a much greater level of negligence. Um, but, you know, you do need to say certain, beha- you know, certain behavior is unacceptable. But um, my issue is that you see places where cops are not actually uh, doing wrong. They're just using force. And that's, um, and to say that that's incorrect behavior is a sort of, uh, yeah, it's a misunderstanding of, of what we ask police to do. Um, what do you think about the uh, militarization of the police, which is evident in these giant tank-like um, vehicles they have and the body armor that they're wearing and also the kind of, you know, dispersal technology they have, which maybe is not militarization exactly, but, you know, the, the, um, these, uh, pepper balls, I'm wearing all sorts of new things that exist in the world that I didn't know about before. Uh, so, and which are kind of like a rubber bullet type thing combined with pepper spray and, you know, there's been, <laughs> there was a, the first oh. ever use of the pepper ball, and by by police in America, by the way, it killed a woman in Boston after the Red Sox won the World Series, um, and that put a hold on um, pepper ball use for 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 many years. Anytime <coughs> you have a projectile, it, yeah, boy, it was horrible. Um, Snellgrave, I think, was her name. Uh, uh-huh. Shot her in the eye and killed her. It's a horrible way to die because uh, a sergeant was just lobbing it into the crowd. Anytime you shoot projectiles from a gun, uh, there is a great potential for danger. Um, in other countries, they tend to be a lot quicker with tear gas. Um, we don't use tear gas or dogs because it's a legacy of the civil rights movement. Um, the alternative to tear gas, uh, well, there's some other weird things being invented that I hope we don't go down those roads, but that's, but, you know, batons and pushing people is, is sort of the alternative to, to mass use of tear gas that American police tend, tend to subscribe to. I mean, the militarization, you know, it's, 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 the debate has been going on for a long time since the invention of the SWAT team in LA back in the days. Um, I think it's, you know, if I have to say, I'm, if I'm for or against the militarization of police, I'm against it. But that said, what do you do in mass shooter situations? You do need some kind of armored vehicle um, that's, that's available. Um, we are asking cops to, you know, confront potential suicide bombers in a terrorism situation. Uh, so you have to balance that. Um, and then what happens is you give cops these toys, some of which they shouldn't have, but some of which they should, then they have to use them. So you end up using these over-militarized uh, responses to, say, routine warrants. Um, and that, I think, is bad. But then, but you do need to train cops in this, but it shouldn't be at the expense of citizens. 98% of warrants should first be tried by knocking on someone's door. Uh, and, you know, you can take it from there. But that that would solve a lot of the problems. Um, you know, some of, I don't, I, you know, we collectively, we do control police departments um, sometimes, as difficult as, as it is. We can decide what they, what we want them to have. But we, I mean, do we want to say, just take away, I, I guess it's hard to say what militarized means is all I'm saying, though, though, like, you know, like the Supreme Court definition of pornography, sometimes you know it when you see it. Uh-huh. Uh, and you can say, no, that's just not necessary. I think we saw some of that in Ferguson, by the way, and that shocked a lot of people. But we're giving military surplus to cops. Um, we can choose not to. Um, and some, to some extent, we should choose not to. But every little department doesn't need a SWAT team. But there does have to be some available SWAT team in the region to respond to situations where someone's, you know, firing an automatic weapon outside a window. Um, you know, cops have to respond to that too. So we're never going to have a demilitarized police. That's a question of how it's used. It's mm-hmm. always complicated. That's the problem. There's nuance here. 
Yes, I agree. Um, and, and I mean, this is somewhat parallel thing to the main discussion, but like, you know, there's the, I, I, in my opinion, the unstated facts in the running conflict between the police and the populace is the massive number of, of guns in America. And so the cops have a very, um, you know, it's very logical for the cops to fear that anytime they're arresting someone, pulling over someone on the highway or whatever, this person is packing heat and maybe they're ready to, you know, go out in a blaze of glory or something. And, and so I, I, as far as I know, there, the, there haven't been protesters shooting back at the cops, but you can certainly imagine that happening. You know, does this, there's like more guns than people in America. The cops have been shot and killed and these recent days so okay so yes okay so it's you know we live in a violent country in which yeah. it's very easy to get access to a gun and if you can snap your fingers and all the guns disappeared maybe there'd be some sort of different way of of doing things but um i don't you know i, I you can't take the I, I don't see the guns ever being taken away from the cops because the, the populace still has still has the guns and some number of criminals uh have guns and some level of you know law-abiding people have guns and then you know, like you have this, uh, the, guns. the the other previous situation in Minneapolis, it, it was a guy's name, Philando Castile. Was that, that one where he was like telling the officer that he had a legal gun in, in his, um, car and there was confusion and he ended up getting shot and killed by the cop, you know, the cop shot and killed him. I, sh- I should, one change is the passive voice, uh, you know, yeah. voice thing and all this, but I do approve of changing that. But yeah, so the, ch- the cop shot and killed him and, um, yeah, and in most other countries, there's not this level of uh, firepower in the population. But even, you know, firepower be damned, that was a bad shooting. Uh, when I see these things, the first thing I kind of think of is, if I were in that situation, what would have I done? And, um, you know, in that situation, I'm like, what is this guy? Pan-? I mean, it was, that was, that cop was not, he was afraid for no reason. Uh, and that was the problem. So I, I want to sort of place the blame firmly there. But but the gun situation, you know, to compare, uh, I, I spent a semester at the was the National Policing College in England, which was then in, in uh, rural Hampshire in the south. And um, I did a lot of ride alongs with cops there. And I asked them, well, when's the last time a cop here was killed? And this is a county, uh, you know, a large county in England. And they said, do car crashes count? And I was like, no, I mean, you know, killed, killed, uh, not died, killed. And uh, the guy said, I think never. Um, <laughs> the idea that you could have uh, a large conglomeration, I mean, yeah, a region of England where the number of cop fatalities in over a century is zero. And, it, you know, he said maybe there's one I don't know about, but zero or damn close to zero is is hard to imagine from an american perspective um and absolutely that that changes policing um we have a problem with guns and gun violence in this country um but like you know we and we have a problem with racism and 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 violence in this country too that what just frustrates me is we we tend not to deal with the actual problems until police do and then we blame cops for screwing things up um and again if they screw things up they deserve some blame but like the if we could magically fix policing, and I don't quite know what that means, um, because sometimes we want cops to shoot people. I mean, that not often, but we that needs to be said. Yeah. Uh, that's part of the reason we have police, and we certainly have police because they can use force. Otherwise, we wouldn't need police. Um, that has to be part of the equation. Um, and we, yeah, if we, if we can set up a utopian society, great. Um, I don't know if this is a, perhaps a good segue into, you know, defunding and abolition. You said you were going to go to that. But, yeah. Um, I, well, I, d- I did want to ask about one other incident, which it was um, uh, in the news once again today, because our president uh, Trump uh, tweeted about it, which is this, uh, you know, the cops in Buffalo uh, pushing over an elderly man. Uh, he fell to the ground and hit his head on the, on the ground and uh, was bleeding out of his ears. Apparently still in the hospital. And uh, Trump suggested that maybe he was some sort of anti antifa uh, provocateur, which is insane. He was, you know, he's just like some old hippie or something. Um, so, I mean, so there's, there's that incident. You mentioned pushing as something that the police, you know, if they're clearing an area, pushing makes sense. Um, so I, I guess I would lo- want you to uh, please tell us what you think about that, that incident that was captured on video, but also that there was a, uh, the, the two cops who pushed him were charged with something, I think, or put on leave or something. They were arrested. Um, and then a bunch of other cops, um, 
out of uniform gathered outside, uh, you know, where they were being processed or whatever. And, you know, when they came out, we're like clapping and cheering for them. And I was just thinking like, this is, uh, this is a, a job where there's like this very, very strong loyalty, like tribal opinion. It's like, you know, us against them kind of thing. Like if, if a colleague of mine pushed an old man onto the ground, I, like I would probably be like, okay, let's, let's wait to figure out what really happened before I'm like clapping and cheering for them. Yeah. They, you know, this is where cops can, cops are not good at PR for policing and <laughs> cops can be their worst enemy and they're not thinking or don't care how this is perceived. Um, the issue from the cop perspective, uh, is not what they did. It's how they're treated by the department. Um, the issue is this is a case where people do not have the option of stopping that police line. The cops were trained uh, to do, you, to use force. You, you know, one person, you know, can't, it, it, it's not going to be, well, it could be, uh, you know, Tiananmen Square type thing where one person stops the march. That's the purpose. They're told to leave. Um, that, you know, he chooses not to. His, he's either going to get pushed back or taken to the other side of the line and arrested. Um, it ended tragically. Um, you know, it's not, yeah, it's not clear if he's ever going to recover from this. Um, but that's how, and there were medics in the, in the second row. To, to me also, when I watched this, like, we can't leave him there. Then you have to render aid. Um, but it was actually a reporter who said, actually, there were medics there and they did call for help right away. They had a system. Mm-hmm. And we can say the system is wrong, but then blame the police department, blame the mayor, blame the bosses there. The cops are saying, we are doing exactly what you told us to do. And now you're throwing us under the bus and you're not taking responsibility. Um, that's the issue. It's not so much when cops misbehave and gets in trouble. It's when they say, this is, this is what you told us to do. And now you now we're getting in trouble for it. That's the issue there. And that's why they said, we're not going to work in this unit because you've just changed the rules on us. Mm-hmm. Um, you've just said everything you taught and trained us is not true. Um, so that's the situation. Then they, then it makes it look like they're celebrating pushing an old man to the ground and Trump doesn't help matters with that. Um, but it's about this, um, it's, it's an organizational problem. Um, and, and the lack of leaders to take, to accept responsibility and accountability. Mm-hmm. Um, well, yeah, I mean, so I guess there's, you know, in some ways it's like a, you know, in, a, in any like hierarchy, if something goes wrong, the people at the bottom are more likely to suffer the consequences than the people at the top. Yeah, especially you know, in policing. But yeah, that's a universal thing. Yeah. Yeah. So there's like you know, the well, I mean, you know, I, I did, what did the Minneapolis police chief resign? I can't, I can't tell. I mean, there hasn't been a maybe yes, the, I think, the highest I think ranking. So also like Minneapolis so too. You know, talking to a police officer, friends of mine, there were a couple of things that shocked cops along with the original incident. First of all, that chokeholds um, or permitted, you know, that really, we didn't know of departments where they were as permissive in chokeholds as Minneapolis. The fact that the cop who killed Floyd had two trainees under him. That's also one of the reasons, at least two, I, the fourth officer I know nothing about, but one of the cops was three days out of the academy. The other was four days out of the academy, according to their lawyer. Um, and the killer cop is their training officer. Mm-hmm. Um, but we've never, but the idea that you would have two trainees is, is, is unheard of. So there are all these little things like why these are the things you have to fix before disaster strikes, before you kill somebody. Um, and, you know, Minneapolis was, in theory, a <clears throat> reform progressive department. You know, they went through implicit bias training and, and de-escalation training and reconciliation programs. And, you know, maybe they worked, but they didn't work enough to stop this kind of thing from happening. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's, you know, it's, it's frustrating as someone who follows these things to always be <laughs> shocked at, you know, like, oh, Ferguson raises 30 plus percent of their funding from court fines and, and tickets. Like, what? I had never heard of that before 2015, and I should know better. But um, the fact that Minneapolis has still has weird policies. Um, this is where some type of standardization, whether it's at the state or, or federal level, um, really could serve some good because we, we do have certain best practices in the field. And it's very, it's, yeah, it's disturbing that many departments still don't follow them. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe this is not a question you can answer, but do you have any sense of what, Chauvin was thinking like I, I assume he was not like a psychopath who was like I decided I'm going to murder someone right now on camera I assume he thought he was doing something that he should be doing you know uh, I'm I am such the right person 
to ask about that? Because in almost all these cases, I can tell you that. Even if I don't believe it, I can, you know, give you that perspective. No, I, I don't. And that's why it's baffling. Wow. Um, I, it, it's, it, it shocks the conscience. I, I have no idea. I, um, and I have never heard even from a police perspective, a, a, a sort of a defense of, of how he behaved. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, I too presume he wasn't then set out to murder someone on camera and end up being, you know, jailed for it. But I, 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 I don't know. Um, okay. Well, let's, let's talk about the defund police abolish the police thing a little bit. Uh, it seems to be catching on as, as the slogan of this movement for better or worse. Um, what do you, I I'd mean, say it's got traction. I don't think it's catching on, but it's got traction. Well, and, people, you know, people are repeating it and it's the thing people, I mean, it could have been banned. Minneapolis seems to be moving forward with it. So we'll. Well, what do you? Okay, it's it's such a vague term. And then the, you, yeah. have, you know, is this problem with the left where you know some uh, the three word slogan, uh, you know, eliminates all nuance and like few people actually believe it. Like you know, believe all women or something. You know, like like no one's like no one's like a woman will never lie. Like that, that doesn't make any sense. Um, so defund the police, abolish the police. What like what do you hear that? What do you what do you think about it? Um. I'm all for um, sort of debates on, on you know, the, our police, should police get more money? I, I don't know. Should police, you know, does it, should they get less money? Is it just right? I mean, these, these are debates we should be having. The idea that we're funding police perfectly is, is unlikely. Um, but there is a police abolition movement and it's been around for years and it's crazy. It's, it's, I mean, it's, it's, it's crackpot. It's supported by very few people. Um, and so there's a certain disingenu- disingenuous aspect to saying, oh, no, we just actually mean to shift funding from one program to the other. Um, okay, we can, you know, if that's what you mean, but at its core, um, it is about abolishing police. A lot, I, I think that most people who advocate this would be for giving police less money, even if it weren't shifted to social services. Um, but, you know, we do need more money for effective social services. Services. Um, there's a lot of money now, especially in New York City, spent on, you know, ineffective social services. And, and the one I constantly hold as an example is Department of Homeless Services in New York. And now has a budget of $3 billion. And um, the homeless problem is worse than ever, despite a massive, you know, so an extra billion dollars couldn't fix the problem of for 60,000 homeless people in New York. Mm-hmm. Um, I doubt another half billion is going to suddenly do it. I mean, because the policy, the policy behind it isn't good. That part isn't about funding, but they're very, you know, if we look, there's some should be, and these are, they're both low hanging fruits and heavy lifts at the same time. Um, we have problems with mental health care in this country. Um, there are problems with quality of life issues related to homelessness people in this country um we could there are problems with education and jobs uh, and health care okay um if if we could tell cops look you'll never have to respond to another crazy person again uh, they would love it um so let's set up a system where they don't have to other countries have managed this um it involves good policy and it will involve some money um we could do it if we chose to. Now, we, if we set up these systems um, and demand for police went down, that's when you can start talking about shifting money from policing. But the idea that we're just going to cut policing first, because I don't have faith these we're going to make these social situations any better. And, you know, the fact is people still call for police services and people call for police services disproportionately from poor minority areas. And um, there was some poll showing support for um I don't remember if it was defund or abolish police, but some, I think, I think it was some poll that, that just asked the question and, and support came out at 16%. So even if that grows a little bit, let's remember it's 16%. Not a political um, winner. No, but it might be because it's allowed 16%. Um, and it, and it's a 16% that could allow politicians to say we're doing something, but you know, Biden just came out against it. Thank God, because it's a sure vote loser. Um, if you know, in the, in the police, there are only three organizations uh, in America that constantly have the support of the American public: uh, the military, small business, and police. And uh, it's important to remember that politically, in front of national election. Um, but uh, the other thing about the poll was that the greatest support was among people making over a hundred thousand dollars a year. And I, I'm sick of people telling other people how they should be policed. If support for abolish police comes out of high crime areas, um, let's listen to it. And 
if it's the majority, which it's not, um, you know, black people want more policing, even more than white people want more policing. They also want better policing. And that's, you know, again, it's complicated. There's nuance there. But the idea that police are the problem, if we get rid of them, um, that is a very privileged position coming generally from wealthy white people um, telling poor minorities how they should be policed. And that that needs to be pushed back on. Um, don't speak for other people like that uh, because people will die and it won't be you and it won't be, you know, here's my other thing is why not try it in a, in a, in a rich white neighborhood first? Um, pick some rich suburb and let's abolish the police. Of course, there wouldn't be any political support for it there. Um, but why don't we first start in an area that doesn't have a lot of violence? Because I think there is some good that could come out of, you know, figuring out a new system for diverting, you know, diverting calls from police services. But let's not make guinea pigs out of people in dangerous neighborhoods. And that, I mean, this country has a long history of doing that. Um, sometimes from good intention, sometimes from evil intention. Um, but people need police protection. And, um, I, you know, some, someone's got to answer the call when people call 911. Though I do think, I don't know if we have time for it. You know, the whole system now that people have 911 call and response, I think, uh, perhaps isn't the best way to issue police services, but, um, but that's the way we have it. And, and, um, you know, people want police and to say we're not going to give it to you is, 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 is troublesome. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you mentioned, um, you know, someone who was mentally ill or or seems mentally ill and, you know, someone calls 911, cops have to deal with this person. Um, uh, Since this is America, it's it's possible that this person has a gun either on their person or like in their home. And so just sending some social workers uh, over there to try to try to deal with a potentially violent person. uh, And that's a bad situation. Yeah, but, you know, most of the situations don't involve violence. Um, so I don't know the percentage, uh, but it's the vast majority. You know, it, it's the problem is we don't, um, if someone chooses not to take their meds, we allow them that choice. Um, we have very, uh, I would say, too strict laws um, prohibiting involuntary commitment. Um, it doesn't have to, you know, be one flew over the cuckoo's nest for life. But some countries, I think it's Sweden, I forget, you know, has a progressive system where you first go in for a day and then if you get, if you draw attention to yourself again, you get three days and seven days. But the idea that we just allow people in crisis to roam the streets, uh, sometimes not hurting other people, but there's also a public community here. I mean, you know, Cuomo shut down the New York City subway at night because um, basically de Blasio wouldn't eject homeless people from it. Um, Along with their petty feud that has, you know, literally killed now tens of thousands of people through COVID, um, we need rational policy uh, and we have to, there has to be accountability at the social services level. Just to say what we're doing isn't working doesn't mean we shouldn't try. Um, But police are the agency of last resort. And um, until we can fix the problem, the problems or not fixed, but mitigate, you know, because uh, they're, you know, at some point, social services people, yeah, we'll call police because someone is in crisis and armed. Uh, but we, we don't even we're not even close to doing that. You know, uh, last year, there were a couple tragedies of people um, in New York City, uh, homeless people who killed people. And in the two cases that I'm thinking of on um, both times, the family tried to get that person committed because they needed help. They couldn't get help. Uh, and then we had tragedy. Um, that There's got to be a better way. And that doesn't involve policing. But but we're not addressing those issues. Right. And I, I really don't know that much about this particular subject, but it seems like you know there was an era in which it was pretty easy to get someone committed to like a relative or something. Too easy, let's say. Right. And then maybe like the uh, husband gets the wife for committed you know, on a false claim or something like that, just to get her out of the picture. And so, but also, then there was this some of that institutionalization that happened in the 70s or basically the, these um, those old, awards were let out. Those old um, giant you know, state uh, homes, uh, a lot of the... It, there were a lot of old people in there. They became de facto old folks home for people who couldn't afford care. So if you became invalid, uh, there was that. I mean, so also we invented medicines that cured a lot of mental problems. Uh, so it was a combination of things that allowed deinstitutionalization, but the part that never happened was, uh, community based care. So yeah, we got rid of an evil, but we never fixed it. Uh-huh. Um, uh, let, let me return, uh, maybe this will be the last thing, uh, to something I mentioned before of this sense of like, uh, the police having lost legitimacy, not, you know, not only among, uh, poor black people living in the inner city, 
uh, but but among like my cohort, more or less of you know educated white people who are also um, you know In my say, social circle, I should say. Okay, well, so you know, say posting ACAB or, or if you say I don't know, if he's supposed to say ACAB or ACAB, but um, yeah, fuck the police, basically, and where that was a radical statement when um, you know NWA, if I'm correct, <laughs> who's, who's sang that song in 1991. Uh, did it now it's it's like if you know people are like if you're not saying fuck the police then maybe like you're secretly a cop you know it, it's 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 just become the standard cultural standard and so that seems uh i don't know it, 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 it's it i mean it's it, it's interesting and strange that this has happened and i and the fault probably lies on, on multiple sides of bad police behavior and um and also people kind of performing their radicalism online and stuff like that but let's also not forget um five years now of a pretty constant anti-policing narrative coming from supposedly objective news outlets be it the new york times or npr um or the washington post um there's been a lot of unfair coverage i think that has influenced uh people as well I, i mean how do you see this playing out i mean do you how do your students um Think about these things. Uh, well, my students tend to be um, non-white, first of all. Uh, they're all immigrants and kids of immigrants. Uh, and they are, tr- I mean, I you know, it's a selective body of students I teach. It's a school of criminal justice, and I teach policing classes, so a lot of them want to go into law enforcement. Um, they're New York City kids, uh, and they're trying to break into America's working class. Uh that's, you know, that, that's the primary motivation. Um, you know, they've worked some retail, but no one in their family has ever had a job with benefits ever. Um, so there is a big class element to this as well. Uh, policing is still by and large working class, even with the fact that in, you know, in New York, you need two years of college and many cops have a bachelor's degree or even a master's degree. Um, but yeah, New York City, it's, it's, it's a, a lot of good city kids. So they, they don't quite, I mean, yeah, they don't uh, – I've been to a lot of parties, and I don't see my students at these parties um, of my friends in Brooklyn. So, I mean, there's a big class divide there. And, again, that's what I was talking about earlier is um, it just be careful before you speak for other people uh, what you think you know best. Um, even in neighborhoods that have good reason and have seen bad policing uh, – there's a lot more support for cops than I think people realize again. And it's not that they don't want better policing, but the problems are real. And we sort of pretend they don't exist. And that if police simply stopped their systemic oppression, that, that, that everything would get better is, 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 is somewhere is both naive and and idealistic. And it's just, it's, but it's misguided. Um, Um, Okay. Okay. Maybe this will be the last question, unless you want to add anything after, Uh, if you could snap your fingers and magically, you know, institute a reform uh in america american um police uh how they behave or or whatever what what would what would that reform be um more well in cities um more foot patrol i get cops out of cars um to have more interactions with the public that aren't in an enforcement or crisis mode um i think that would help cops understand the community better and also help the community understand cops better um this idea that policing by and large means sit in a car and wait for someone to call 911 it sort of became the de facto method of policing in America. And no one ever really asked for it. It was supposed to be efficient. That was the main purpose of it. Started in New York in the late sixties. Um, I think that would do a lot. Um, I also think that, well, I want to talk about regional differences briefly because uh, it kind of relates to that, but, but it's, I don't want to uh, go off topic. There's a there's an article that just came out in The Atlantic by Seth Stoughton and Jeff Alpert and um, another Jeff whose name, unfortunately, I'm forgetting, uh, which is quite good on this subject. It has some sort of specifics and, uh, you know, it's, it's in The Atlantic, so it's not too dry, but it, it gets into the sort of nitty gritty of what we can do in terms of police reform. Uh, in terms of policy levels and training. Um, but my, my sort of somewhere, you know, my fondness bordering on fetish is, is to get cops out of cars and, and, and more on foot. Um, but you need cops to be, I mean, the, the distinction is do you want cops to be proactive or reactive? Um, right now, proactive policing isn't very popular in the reform movement. Um, and cities that have seen reform, um, like Baltimore have gotten more violent. So, um, 
what we need are we need proactive cops that are being proactive in intelligent ways that aren't dicks and, uh, and, you know, aren't, aren't doing it, uh, in a racist way. Um, we need police departments that are able to articulate why there's racial disparity in police enforcement. Um, like there's racial disparity in everything in America. Um, you know, and police respond to the racial disparities and the racism of America. So police department needs, need to do a better job defending that. But in terms of, of, um, how we can improve policing, on a street level, I'd say that is, is, is get cops out of their car more walking around. Um, at a, to get rid of bad cops, it does require either changing union rules or without changing union rules. Um, police department need, need there, there's a, for the first two years before cops have civil service protection, usually it depends. It usually kicks in after 18 months. Um, it's really easy to fire a cop, uh, for those first 18 months. Um, it's almost never done in the academy period and in field training. Uh, and then up through, and so, so that's six months academy, generally two months field training. And then um, at, you know, year after that, civil service protection kicks in. Um, I don't want a quota because quotas never work out well. But if you had a goal to get rid of the bottom five, 10%, like in any group, um, uh, the bottom five or ten percent. I'm, I'm avoiding using the term "bad apples" because it's such a cliche and doesn't, and you know, it's mocked for good reason. Uh-huh. Uh, but um, yeah, you don't want to have the whole barrel go rotten, uh, and so you, you got to get rid of that, those bottom. But there's no incentive now to do that. Um, no one's willing to sort of say, you know what, I'm willing to take the blame. I'm willing to take the inevitable lawsuit, uh, but this person shouldn't be a cop, and we're cutting them. Uh, if you could do that early on, you could save a lot of heartache later. Um, and then, uh, I mean, I'd end the war on drugs, but that's a little more pipe dream. Uh, but, you know, if we want to talk about what we could do for policing, yeah, get them out of, uh, out, of, out of the vice business. We need to regulate drugs. We need to ve- regulate prostitution just as we regulate gambling. Remember, it used to be, those used to be the three uh, the, the three sin crimes or victimless crimes. Um, we've managed pretty well with legalizing gambling and, you know, people still got problems with it. Um, we, yeah, we, we have to, and I, I don't just mean decriminalize because they're quality of life issues. I don't want street walkers in, you know, in front of my house. Um, you have to regulate it and you can only regulate it once you legalize it. And mm-hmm. that is a, another step, but we could end a lot of urban violence simply by regulating bad drugs and saying, because, you know, at some point we have to accept that the status quo isn't working. Um, so there's a few ideas. Okay. Uh, yeah, those, those make sense to me. Yeah, I, I mean, I think it's not often emphasized enough that, like, you know, the, the, any organization that, like, the bottom 10% of is, is worse than the top 90%. And, um, you know, that means that 10% of all cops are in the bottom 10% in terms of how good they are at being cops. And, probably the ones that end up getting caught on camera um, doing something awful are, you know, were in that, that bottom 10% uh, who should have been there. Let me also um, mention, if I could briefly, one other way, because um, it's a shame that the bottom 10% are dealing with the public. The fact that patrol, the interaction with the public, what the public thinks of as policing is at the bottom of the organizational ladder is a problem. No one ever gets promoted to patrol. Um, you could flip that around. Uh, that's an organizational issue. But the idea that you punish someone by sending them back on the street, um, there should be a nobility in the idea of being a patrol officer and serving a community for a length of time and getting to know people. Um, that that could be, um, you know, shifted with good leadership in a police department. And there's some union issues as well because they don't allow pay disparities. But, you know, what if you paid certain cops more to um, who are willing to walk foot in a certain neighborhood for a long time? Um, but a lot of that was done away with because of uh, there'd be a corruption scandal. And so they would, you know, now um, they move cops on purpose on principle. So they don't uh, get to know the community that well, or they do yeah. for a couple of years. Um, you know, generally people serve as precinct commanders in New York city for two years. That strikes well, they, me as a weird, arbitrary time limit. Did you mean that the cops would get like too friendly with the local malefactors and would end up being on the take or something like that? Yeah, I mean, because that happened in the 70s right. um, a lot. Uh, that was also before we legalized gambling, and that, that helped clean up the police department. Uh, and there, there are good analogies there with, with, um, with drugs today. 
Um, but the idea is that the community can spend two years trying to build up a relationship with a commanding officer, but then the commanding officer leaves and then they got to do it all again with the next uh-huh. commanding officer. Uh-huh. Um, and that can, you know, that's not a way to, to build good long-term relationships. Um, I think I don't have anything else uh, to ask you. Um, do you have anything else you wanted to add before we wrap up? Well, the idea of regional disparities in policing, because it seems like it's so bla- so huge and no one ever notices it. Um, mm-hmm. I'm, with regards to police shooting and killing people, um, we focus on racial disparities within cities, um, which by and large uh, can be explained by police interactions, by disparities in violent crime. Um, what we can't explain are differences between, say, New York City and um, Albuquerque or Oklahoma City um, or Tulsa. Uh, there are medium-sized cities out west um, that have levels of cops shooting people that are 20 times New York City. Wow. Um, it's night and day. Uh, if we want to reduce shootings, we got to focus on where cops are shooting a lot of people. And yet we don't seem to, again, say, well, you know what? Some cities are better than others. What is New York City doing that those? And I don't think, well, you know, there'll always be some disparity there as well because of also they get less, they have, they spend less on cops. Um, that I think I, this is a theory. I, I don't have, I don't know how I can prove it with hard data, but there's certainly a correlation between um, less money on policing and, and more police shootings. And then the simple argument is, you know, you have cops out there alone and they're losing a fight and they shoot somebody. Uh, but it also relates to poorer training and so on. But these disparities between states and specifically between cities, um, you we're talking yeah, 20 times difference, not 20%. Um, and nobody looks at these things. If we could reduce California's rate of lethal police involved shootings to the, just the national average, um, We'd save a couple, like 100, 150, I forget exactly, 200 lives a year. That's a good chunk of the total of a 1,000 people shot and killed by police every year. Um, but to do that, we would have to, we'd have to, I don't want to say move our focus from, but how about in addition to a focus on race, we need to also um, shift our focus uh, from a laser-like exclusive attention to race and say, what are, because there are most of these cities that have a really high rates of shootings, um, and states that have high rates of shootings have a lower than average percentage of of African Americans. Um, states like New York and Pennsylvania and New Jersey and Michigan and Illinois uh, are lower than the na- have a, lower meaning better uh, have lower than national averages of cop shooting and, and killing people. It is you're far less likely, far less likely to be shot as a black man in New York than a white man in Tulsa. Um, yeah. It's not even close. And what, do you so, have a theory or is there a theory about why it might be? Is it culture? Or? Um, I think it's a combination of more area, a less backup, single person patrol, uh, more, more crystal meth, uh, more gun uh-huh. culture, uh-huh. Um, maybe just a more violent culture, um, more sort of spread out uh, rural poverty, perhaps. Uh, that's why I said I don't think we'd ever change all of that. Uh, but certainly, I mean, certainly we could change some of it that, that, that should kind of, you know, we, we can make things better. Um, but so like here with defunding police. So if we shifted a billion dollars of the New York city, $6 billion budget, um, that would mean firing cops because most of the money is labor. Uh, what if that meant cops shot and killed five more people a year? Uh, it's hard to say, you know, and, and I don't mean it's direct cause and effect, but I do mean, but I do mean cause and effect. It's just, you know, it's the mechanisms are more complicated than that. Mm-hmm. Um, is that worth it? You know, LA spends a lot less than New York city on cops and they shoot more people. Uh, mind you, they're not that bad by national standards. Uh, but these are sort of the bigger picture things, but no one, no one even talks about it. And, you know, I sort of casually been mentioning it in whatever blog posts and Twitter. Um, but, sometimes I think we're missing the problem that cops in certain places are just shooting too much. Um, Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. It's, it's, um, I didn't know that fact. Um, So that's good to know. And um, yeah, the, 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 I mean, the, the things that catch the natural national attention maybe seem to, they have some, you know, weirder grotesque aspect to them, like Freddie Gray in the back of the truck or caught on camera or something. And then like maybe these things that, 
are just kind of regularly happening in parts of the country that don't get a lot of attention. You know, people aren't really. Well, there's no, often there's no racial them. element, so it doesn't make national news. But my God, uh, the way uh, cops have killed some people of all races that I've seen videos of that didn't ever become a big deal. And, you know, it tends to be in places like Fresno and Bakersfield, and there's not a lot of press there either. Um, and you also get a political structure that sometimes, especially in small towns where you'll get the prosecutor, John Principal, just, I won't, I'll never charge a cop uh-huh. uh, because I know the police chief and, you know, we both love Trump. And so there's no pushback uh, to a lot of these shootings. It's like no one cares. Sometimes the family, you know, there'll be a little protest from the family, but, you know, uh-huh. but they're really some, I mean, yeah, George, George Floyd level uh, shockingness. Um, okay, uh, Peter, uh, thank you for coming on uh, and enlightening uh, me and uh, the audience about some of these important matters. Uh, so you, uh, you're you on Twitter. What is, what is your Twitter handle? I think it's Peter Moscow's. I'm not I, certain. I think it is too, but I was thinking there was an underscore in there, but maybe I'm wrong. But no, search for no. Peter Moscow's and <laughs> you will come up. Um, and, I, should, and- I should write something on my blog, which is copinthehood.com, and that's, that's the book about policing in Baltimore. Um, people, it's, it's, you know, it's 20 years ago now, but still, it's stood the test of time pretty well. Yeah. I, it's on my, it's on my long list of, uh, of books to read. And like I said, I read in defense of flogging and, and found it quite interesting. Um, okay. So I get a bump in sales for Greek Americans. I'll, I'll thank you. Check out Greek Americans too. Uh, I never heard of it before today, but it sounds interesting. <laughs> uh, um, okay. So thanks for coming on. Uh, thank you to all of our viewers and listeners and we'll see you again next time. Thanks for a good discussion.